Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 300 speaker files, links for you to subscribe to the podcast, and a place where you can donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Miriam. Hi, I'm Miriam. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi. Hi. Um, Well, first of all, thank you to the newcomers for being here and welcome. Um, My abstinent day. Okay, so share what it was like and what it's like now and what happened. First of all, I just want to say I'm a little intimidated by this whole podcast, signing a waiver. It's a bit intimidating. Um, I am going to be 40 in May. Holy cow, I'm going to be 40. And I came into this program when I was 18, one week before I was 18. Uh, my abstinence date is November 1st, 1998. So I hung out for about six years before I really got abstinent and was really willing to surrender and get a sponsor and get humble. Roy is here! Yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> and, and 1998 was when I was finally like Miriam's head is the problem so to backtrack a little bit of what it was like it's funny because I was talking to Michael and he says to me you know 40 minutes is kind of a long time if you run out of things to say and I always think you know when I speak at these meetings where there's 10 minutes I think that's not enough time, and I'm thinking 40 minutes might be good anyway. So I'm thinking that, and I'll share what it was like. Okay, so what it was like. I was uh, diagnosed with juvenile diabetes at 9, and that's eh, fine. And But believe me, I went through a whole inventory on that. At 9, I was put on a food plan right away. And, I mean, I'm just going to share my story. And my uncle was my pediatrician. So, at every family gathering, and, and his friend was my diabetic doctor, Dr. Backrack. And so the two of them, <laughs> the two of them would be at every family function watching Miriam like a hawk. And my parents, and the truth is, I resented my mother for many years. I blamed her before I worked the steps because... She was the reason I was so effed up, Um, excuse my language, and that's not true at all. She did what any loving parent would do who found out they had a nine-year-old who was diagnosed with juvenile diabetes. I now see that because I'm a mother myself, all a gift of this program, by the way, all a gift of this program. The way I was headed was not towards being a mother and a professional and a homeowner and a car owner and a married wife of a normie. Holy cow, you know, it's a whole other area. But anyways, thank you. So at these family functions, you know, Buddy is my uncle. He's, you know, he put me on a food plan. She has to be on this food plan. She's never to eat sugar again. So my mother controlled my food from like 11 to, no, that's not true, from like 9 to 11, 9 to 11 and a half. And I was normal weight. I was on the swim team. But the truth is, in my head, I thought I was fat. I did. I thought I was fat. So something's wrong with Miriam's head from the early, early on. 
And the focus was my weight. You know, that's all anybody talked about. Well, it's ironic because um, I'm now a teacher in, for sixth grade, and I'm the gate coordinator and all these things now, all because of program. Well, I was the first group of sixth graders to be transferred from elementary school to middle school. And my, my mom was no longer watching me. See, she was a teacher's age. She did everything a loving parent would do. And she was a teacher's aide, so she could watch me from fifth, you know, in elementary school, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. And she watched my food. She watched everything I did. And then sixth grade, she let me loose. She was no longer an aide. I was in middle school. It was a bigger place. And that's when I started to go to town, and I started to binge and eat. And I gained about 65 pounds that year. Now, I have a health condition. So everybody's going, oh, no. You know, everyone's panicking around Miriam. And I didn't know what was wrong. I'll tell you what was wrong. I'm an addict with food. And I have, see, this is the thing. Like, alcoholics, drug addicts, I think they know their first high. Their first, like, this is it, right? Well, when I was on the swim team, I faked having an insulin reaction so that I could get out of it, go to the locker room, go to that vending machine, get that bag of cookies. And I remember it like it, it was like, this is it. This is my escape. This is it. Finally, relief from everything. And um, that was the beginning, really, of true addiction for me. And I used to binge on those big chocolate chip cookies and the brownies during nutrition and lunch, candy, and I gained weight. And I remember looking at a picture of myself, and I was cute in fifth grade. I, I was. I didn't think I was. When I became an adult, I went, you know, that's pretty cute. And in fifth grade... I was normal sized. And then seventh grade, I looked at myself and I remember thinking I was this monster because I had gained so much weight and everything was no longer fitting. To speed things up, all of a sudden I started to think, Miriam needs to go on a diet. And everybody said, Miriam needs to go on a diet. And the thing is this, see, intellectually, and, and that's the thing about this disease is that it doesn't matter how much money you have, how much money you come from, what your education is, how smart you are. In fact, I heard, I heard a guy in AA one time tell me and say this in front of the meeting, very nice suit, beautiful car, high-profile attorney. And he said to me, the problem with that is that I have more resources to draw from in my head. And he was sober and, and just trying to stay sober one day at a time. And that hit me so hard that it doesn't matter where I come from. Because the truth is, after doing the steps, I realized I got a pretty good family. I, I come from like a nice family. But in my head, they were the problem. See, my head's twisted. And I didn't realize that until I got abstinent and was willing to work the steps. So I felt like, okay, I need to be on a diet, I need to be on a diet. Well, I was on Nutrisystem twice, Jenny Craig once or twice, Diet Center Oh, I don't know. Fat, no, I didn't do a fat farm. But I did a couple therapists. And the truth of the matter is, every time I did these diets, and this was all through my teen years, I truly believed in my head, this is going to be it. This is going to be the one where I lose the weight. And after about two weeks, I'd start eating again. And I'd go, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? And, uh... Just that constant, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? So as a result of not being able to kick this food thing, I overachieved. You know, I overachieved in school. I worked while I was in school. I didn't want to be at home. I wanted to get out because everybody was watching what Miriam ate. And um, 
finally, I remember too, my mom, I think, this is my ego, and I laugh about it, and it's a joke, but I, my mom's a therapist, and I think she became a therapist because of her crazy daughter, and I, and I, because she couldn't fix me, she couldn't fix me, and, um, she had me come out here to see a friend of hers, who actually is ironic. He ended up marrying me and my husband later on. Um, but he was in program. And I remember being 16 and going right here on 4th Street, <laughs> wherever that is, 4th Street. He lives there. And going to his place. And he was talking the steps to me. And I couldn't comprehend it. I couldn't grasp it. I don't think I was mature enough yet. That's the truth. And, uh, but he kind of planted some weird seed. And my mom wanted me to get the steps. She knew about the steps because of her practice. And uh, I wasn't ready. So we live in the valley. I grew up in the valley. And finally, she caught me binging like a deer in headlights. And I'll tell you, I'll give you an example of what it used to be like. And please don't go, oh, Miriam, God, that must have been so hard. Oh, you're diabetic. The truth is, it's fine. I take care of myself. I work hard, and I'm no victim. This program has taught me I am no victim. Everyone's dealt something. And my sponsor taught me that, too, you know. Anyways, so my mom caught me binging, and uh, she said, why don't you go to OA? And I was finally willing to go to OA. But prior to that, I'll give you an example of what it was like. My parents used to hide the chocolate from me because I used to get it, and they didn't want me to eat it. And I remember this very vividly. They had, like, this armoire in their bedroom, and they had a double-layer box of Godiva chocolates. And, you know, I knew it was there. And I remember thinking, I'm not going to have it. I'm not going to have it. But I was so angry that they hid it from me. How dare they, you know. And, you know, so angry at them. Just angry at everybody. Angry, angry girl. And, uh, and fat, fat, 175, by the way. 25 pounds away from 200, size 16, going up. And, and so I went and I said, I'll just have one. Because it's two layers, big box, who's going to know, right? So, and I'm diabetic. So I had one. And then all of a sudden, that phenomenon of craving that's talked about in this big book started. And I said, I'll have two. I'll have three. Before I knew it, I had about mm, 11 or 12, maybe 13. And I thought, well, I'll hide it. No one's going to know. Well, after I've eaten about 13 of them, my blood sugars are going high. And at this point, I didn't care about me anymore. You know, I just, who cares? You know, I was just, I was a mess. Such a mess. And, uh, first of all, the shame of like, oh my God, they're going to find out. That was there. Then I just randomly gave myself like 50 units of regular insulin, which is a lot. I live now in like 20 to 21 units for 24 hours. I randomly gave myself 50, just to make the blood sugars go down. So I was like, oh my God, what did I just do? And they're going to find out, oh, shit, you know, oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, O-S, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I randomly gave myself insulin. Okay, so I gave myself too much insulin. I gave myself too much insulin. So my blood sugars, I binged. Blood sugars went up to probably 480. Normal now is between like 80, 120. Went up to 480. And this was a daily occurrence. And so you physio physiologically, you feel like awful. You can't understand it unless you're one of diabetics. But 
um, and the blood sugars went up, and then the insulin kicked in about 10, 15 minutes later, shot down to about 40, so I was having an insulin reaction on top of binging on chocolates, and I had to have some orange juice or whatever it was to get it back up to where I could function, and this was what my life was like all the time. How I did school, I ate my way through college, drove by UCLA, I'm going, oh my God, I remember the days. <laughs> I ate my way through it, you know. Somehow I did, and think about it, you know, this isn't about willpower, because if I could do school, and I can work, and I can be in these, you know, groups, and I can't get this food thing, what is wrong with me? I'll tell you what's wrong with me. I have a disease. And I learned through the program, too, that it's not just like I'm a bad person. There's a physiological thing about me. My head is not wired right when it comes to food. And when I've been abusing sugar for so, so long, my body isn't wired right. It's used to being a certain way. It's used to being in the life of disease. So I have to stop that. I can't. It's too big. It's too powerful. So finally, my mom caught me, and, and that wasn't when she caught me. She caught me binging. On bread. <laughs> and, and this was like in between Jenny Craig and Diet Center. And I remember panicking, going, oh, my God, I'm not going to be on the diet. I'm going to go up fast. And that's what happened. I started binging. Like, I, I gained eight pounds in a week. I was finally like, finally, I'm off a diet. And I binged. And uh, if there's anything I can stress is that I had to get from here to here to get from here to here, to get from here to here, to finally just work the steps and be where I'm at today. Um, finally, she said, why don't you go to OA? And I have a bit of a, I don't as much anymore because I've been humbled, but I still work on it because I have character defects, let me tell you. Um, but I was kind of a snob. And so I, I went to OA once when I was 17 in the Darby office in Reseda, and I just said, no, thank you. I'll see you later. Goodbye. And finally, I was so defeated by this disease, and I finally knew that I don't know what's wrong with me. And when she looked at me, that was like one of my first moments of clarity, like kind of like a deer caught in headlights, like, okay, I'll go. And I went to the Darby office, and I'll tell you, and I, I get emotional and I tear up about this. When I went to that Darby office for the first time, because I was fat, I was a fat girl, um, people noticed me. I wasn't judged or looked down upon or looked with those eyes of, like, what's wrong with you? And I got this overwhelming feeling of love. I do every time. And everything in me said, the running stops here. The trying to run from this disease, or whatever it is, this is where it stops. You don't have to be in hell. So I got that. So, what also kept me coming back was that people talked about eating out of the trash. And I did that. And people talked about not being able to stop eating, even though they wanted to. And that was me. So, I kept coming back. But, I didn't get to, you know, like these jeans, they're size 4, you know, 
I was a two before my kids <laughs> and exercise as much without them, but I'm pretty comfortable where I'm at now. But uh, I did not lose all the weight, but I stopped gaining. And I kept coming back to the meetings, and I hung out literally for about six years. I did the best I could. However, my outside life didn't, it, it started to change. Another window that led me to finally get humble, get a sponsor, really get out of my way and work the steps, write down my food and call it in, uh, you know, do whatever she said, was when I was in kind of a, kind of, I was in an unhealthy relationship and I knew that I allowed it. I knew that my head was disease. Um, within those six years, I was in school, and I worked at night in, a, in the music industry at a studio, and I hung out with famous people, but I made very little money. <laughs> and I lived at home with my parents, and uh, I was in this crazy, unhealthy relationship, and I knew because of this program that I had chosen every path in my life. I knew that Miriam is still in disease, and Miriam is the problem because Miriam allowed this guy to stick around for so long. And what's wrong with me to allow this guy to stick around for so long? It's not fun. It's not loving. What's wrong with me? It was kind of like another form of abuse that I allowed. And I had never paid a bill in my life, but I fantasized about flying by coastal, you know, like I'd fly from L.A. to New York in the music industry, even though what I'm doing in reality is never going to be what I think, you know, all fantasy. Um, and I knew that my disease was the problem. I knew that I passed up opportunities. Um, I passed up good people, healthy people, because I was very sick. You know, sick attracts sick. And I knew this. I knew it because I hung out here. And I knew about the four steps. See, I, I, I did one in 12 for about six years. <laughs> I knew I had a problem, and I talked about this program like crazy, you know. But I hadn't worked any of the steps. But if there's anything I get stressed, it's just keep coming back. Because I knew that the four step was the biggie. I knew that the four step was what was going to change Miriam. And I knew that I was the problem. I was maintaining about 170, 175, and I could talk my way into anything, you know, back then. You know, it's kind of like the alcoholic, you know, once they're drunk, they can get in backstage, whatever. I was kind of like that when I was eating. Not, I mean, kind of, not really, but I could talk, a good talk. And I lied. I realized that in my inventory, that I lied a lot. I embellished. See, I, I li my parents lived in Woodland Hills, but I used to say that I lived, like, on the edge of Mulholland between Calabasas, Malibu, and Woodland Hills. <laughs> These houses over there are, like, gigantic, gigantic mansions, like multi-million dollar mansions. See, I embellished. I kind of live over there. See, see? That's, that's one example just to be a part of. Anyway. Sounds so silly and immature, but that's my story. So anyway, so I, I got abstinent, and and I was finally, like, willing to ask for help. And I had a moment of clarity again after this guy, Steve, said something to me, and all of a sudden it hit me like a ton of bricks. What is wrong with you, Miriam? you got to get better. 
and uh, I finally said, you know what, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I need help, and I went to the Monday Night Miracles, and I quit that job at the studio, and I said, I need to find something that's self-supporting, because that's what the program teaches me. I have to find a job that's going to take care of me, and I can't be around people who are not nice, because that's where I worked. And not saying the music industry is not nice, but where I was working was not nice. And um, it wasn't healthy for me at all. And I moved out of my parents' house, and I started working the program like no tomorrow. And um, in October of 1998, I moved out. I got a studio apartment in Encino, and I went to Monday Night Miracles. And I said, I need a sponsor because I just don't know what to do anymore. And I knew that Miriam's thinking had to change. And I got a sponsor that night. She looked right at me. Everything in me said, ask her to sponsor you. She's my sponsor today. She's now a dear friend. It took me years to, to have a relationship like that. Because I didn't know how to have, bless you, I didn't know how to have relationships. I didn't know. I didn't have any. I had crazy sick relationships. Sick, sick, sick. And I initiated a lot of it. I didn't know that until I got a sponsor who scared me. Truly. And um, at the Monday Night Miracles, everything in me said, ask her to sponsor you. And I did. She said, call me, at, you know, call me Wednesday morning at this time, 620. And I did. She said, I want you to write down your food and call it into me every day. And I did. I still do. Um, the food I don't call into her as much. Only when it's a little shaky. And believe me, things, you know, all of a sudden bananas are looking better. And I got to say, I'm giving up bananas for 30 days. Um, she told me to go to five to seven meetings a day because I was single back then. I went to at least one meeting a day. I went to AA meetings at night. Loved it. Um, I went to, because I was so uncomfortable being absent. And I'll be honest, when I go to some meetings and they have 30 days, they're like, my life is wonderful. Everything's changed. I'm happy. Things are great. I was like an emotional wreck my first year. I mean, I remember being at Serenity Sunday, which is why I'm so happy to see why, um, being there. And just, I had like 63 days. And I remember shaking at the podium because there's that saying, you know, you can't be like good looking, you can't have a good looking a and save your A at the same time, you know? And it was like that. Like, I just was like, I remember shaking at the podium because people were laughing about somebody binging the night before. People were laughing about the fact that somebody's eating. And I was so scared to lose this that I just remember shaking going, don't you realize the seriousness of this disease? That if I go back to Miriam's world, I'm in trouble. And I can't do that. But I felt like I was on such thin ice that I held on to the program. And somewhere I got in my head that I put so much time and effort into this disease. I mean, God. I remember binging at UCLA and going up and down the stairs at Drake Stadium for like two hours because I had just eaten, you know, and then going to class and then studying all night and eating through. I mean, ugh. And, and I thought, you know what, I'll put that, t that much time and effort into the program. And thank God I was able to. And I did that. And uh, I'd go to meetings, I'd share. And they told me, give yourself a year. There was a meeting on Thursday night 
called APOR, Applied Principles of Addictive Recovery. And I went to that meeting religiously. My sponsor would say, meet me at this meeting, and I went, and my grand sponsor would be there. And to these, to this day, I'm very close to those women, and all those women in that group, I still talk to them. They were my group. And very disciplined. I needed to be disciplined. It talks about that. We are an undisciplined lot. So I needed to be disciplined. So going to that meeting, and I'll show, you know, I didn't want to go to that meeting every Thursday night. First of all, my sponsor scared me. She wasn't about being nice, nice to me. She's still not, you know. But she's somebody I love and treasure to, to my heart. Her kids and my kids were spending time together tomorrow, you know. We ran this morning. Um, but that all grew over time. And at the April meeting, She'd say, I want you to meet me there. And I didn't want to go for about three years. I didn't want to go to that meeting. <laughs> and I go, oh, God, i got to go. And I hated the format because I couldn't talk for the first 30 days. They say, you're not allowed to share for 30 days. And I kind of wish that happened more often because it saved me, really. Because um, I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything. And, uh, and after I left the meeting, I felt good. I'd go to the meeting not wanting to go, but I knew in my heart that if I didn't go to the meeting, Miriam would be doing Miriam's way. And see, Miriam's way is what got her to program to begin with. Miriam's way is what gets her to have a miserable, hectic, chaotic life. So, I have to listen to someone else. I have to make that higher power of the group. I have to make that higher power my sponsor in the group. Whatever, as long as it's not Miriam. And I'd go to that meeting not wanting to go. And after the meeting, I felt good. And I didn't eat that night. And I worked the steps. Um, I used to do the four-step. I was just looking in here. And the four-step inventory. My sponsor had me do a very thorough, in-depth four-step. That's the A4 four-step. It's like a book this thick. It took me, like, I don't know, eight months to do. Um, but before that, I would work the fourth step here because I had a lot of guys. I, I resented a lot of guys growing up, being fat, you know, being the girl with the nice personality, you know, all that stuff. So I started doing, it's the truth. And so I did, I did the, the fourth step on them, and I wouldn't eat that night. Every time I wrote down a list of this guy, this guy, what he did, the, and I got to see my part in it, I didn't eat that night, which would show that, okay, one day, oh, my God, I didn't eat. Okay, I'll try this again tomorrow. And it talks about that, you know, kind of growing spiritually slowly but surely over time. And after a year, my sponsor told me that I could date. She told me I wasn't allowed to date my first year, and I was totally fine with that because I knew that my picker was so broke. And... um and thank God, because she told me that people go out over dating. They say that in AA, too. People go out over that, you know, sometimes. And um, people are laughing. But I started dating the first day after that year was over. <laughs> and, and it was an interesting journey. Um, but I did not, I wasn't too good at it. And it was like all of a sudden I'm like a normal-looking person, small, and people are, you know, Cute guys are looking at me, and I had no social skills. I didn't know. I, I, I'd go home crying because I didn't know someone would look at me, and I didn't know what I'd, I was a mess. And um, that's the thing. I didn't have social skills. 
So I just worked the program really hard. And after about four years of being abstinent, and there's this one lady in program, too. Thank God she told me this, too. She's hardcore AAOA, Charlotte. And I still talk to her to this day. And she told me, Miriam, the difference between OA and AA is this. In OA, if you've got two months of abstinence, say, and you've lost like 10 pounds, people think like you're a guru and you have something to say. Whereas in AA, if you have two months of sobriety, people tell you to sit down and shut up because you don't know anything. And that's kind of what I held on to because I felt like a babbling idiot in my first four or five years of abstinence. And um, I became a substitute teacher because they made decent money that I could live on. And then I went back, I went to school and became a teacher. And... um, After about four and a half years of being absent, I got incredibly lonely. And just like working this program, I learned how to be disciplined. I learned how to work at staying abstinent because I had to work at it. I wasn't just given it and everything's wonderful and life's easy. I had to work at it. And I was told to do the footwork, leave the results up to God. And I would constantly cry to God. You know, I cried a lot my first year. I still cry sometimes. I'm just that way, you know. But I cried. And I would just say, I don't know what these feelings are. But I would just have to pull over and start crying. Because I couldn't label it. But it has been stuffed down for so long. And um, my sponsor told me that I have to do the footwork. So I started to do the footwork on... Dating, You know, she said, healthy guys are not going to come knocking at your door. You know, you've got to do the footwork. So I started this blind dating thing. That was awful. But it was, you know, I have my horse. God, there was one time. Oh, my God. But anyway, so. (laughs) I don't want to say it on on this microphone. But it was a funny, I laugh at it. But anyway. Um. My time was valuable. And and finally, um, I was like, I'll throw my hands up. I'll be single forever. I don't care. I'm done doing this. And then my dad said, I think I might know someone. And my dad had set me up before. And I said, oh, please, not another, you know, no, thank you. And finally, <laughs> and then a guy called me. And, and this is the thing. When the guy called, my dad gave him my phone number. And I was like, yeah, whatever, fine. I'll be single. I don't care. Really, at that point, This guy calls, and he sounded nice, and he said, well, why don't I meet you Friday night at 3rd Street, and there was no game, and he said, I'll pick you up, and I was like, whoa, see, I I was not used to this normal dating courtship thing, because I was such a mess, and um, clean cut, blonde hair, glasses, tie, everything that I was not attracted to, (laughs) and, uh, quite the opposite I used to be attracted to, which is why I thought say yes to this guy, because my picker is over here, i got to say yes to this. So we went out, he was very nice, it was nice, and he said, why don't we go out again? And I went, okay. Everything in me, someone told me in program, just keep saying yes, keep saying yes. So after about three months of dating, I started to fall in love with this guy. And, you know, he was nothing, no games. I knew all the time where I stood. And um, I fell in love with his heart. And my sponsor told me this, too, one time. She said, you don't think anyone's going to stick around for you. 
And when she said that to me, that hit me like a ton of bricks to speed things up. I ended up marrying him. Um, <laughs> I have two kids with him. And he's a very good, loving man. He's a normie. Of course, I don't know what normal means, because in marriage, that's a whole other arena in abstinence that I deal with. And I see how I have character defects. So to speed things up now, um, I work this program every day for dear life. I've been raised on this program in terms of what a life is like when it's good. Every morning, I read my two meditations, my 24 hours a day, my OA for today. I write down my food. I call my sponsor. I take my sponsee's calls. When I have things coming up, I write. I have been taught, and it says that in the 12 and 12, restraint of tongue and pen. I learned somehow in the program that if I keep my mouth shut, I can't get in trouble. So, I was very quiet for a long time, and I still struggle with that. But in the meetings, I'd like, blah, you know, because I felt comfortable here. I still do. And, and I learned that if I want to go off on my husband's say, because when I'm married, I want to go off on him sometimes. Or I'm short-tempered. We were on a trip with my parents just recently. We got back yesterday. You know, and, and it was, we were in Vegas. It was my parents and the kids and me. You know, my dad doesn't like that my, I'm a five-year-old and a seven-year-old. They're sitting at the table. And he didn't like that they were, like, bored. You know, he wanted them to just sit there, you know. And I'm like, come on. But I resented the fact that he didn't understand this. You know, he's older. Come on, you know. And it's all about perspective. I had to write about it. I have to write about everything. And I get to see, (laughs) I get to see my part. An old default of mine is, I compare. Um, I grew up with cousins, and I talk about this, where, uh, you know, they just seemed more privileged. They came from more Ivy League schools, and I was always made, you know, I felt invisible. And um, I always kind of default to their perfect life. Still, you know, I compare. And my biggest default is comparing. And I don't even realize I'm doing it. You know, I'll be looking at someone's Porsche going, oh, you know, I don't even realize I'm doing it. And I can't afford to do that. That is something that will lead me to eat because it separates me. That's what it comes down to. It separates me from people. And I can't afford to separate myself. My big thing these days is is learning how to be one amongst many in terms of the home and, and family and loving relationships. I can do okay, pretty well, in the workplace. I worked very hard to get along with others in the workplace. My thing now is how do I be a loving wife to my husband, even though I don't want to be, you know, because I want it my way. <laughs> little things, tiny little things. And I have to just write about it, give it away, love him, tell him I love him. You know, I called him on the way over here saying thank you for watching the kids so that I can do this. He knows that without this program, mommy is no good. And he'll say that to me. Do you need to go write, you know, when he knows I'm mad? <laughs> you know, and I remember dating him, and I wouldn't tell him what I was doing on Friday nights or whatever because I had my commitments at my meetings because I wasn't going to tell someone I'm an OA, you know, first time I meet him. And he was like, what are you doing on Friday night? He'd be like, oh, I'm just meeting with my friends. Well, I want to meet your friends. Well, in time. You know, <laughs> and finally, after a while, I told him, and uh, 
He was like, oh, okay, cool. And I told him that OA, God comes first, OA comes second, and you come third. And I remember him distinctively thinking, what is this? Why don't I come first, you know? But now he gets it that if I'm not working this program, A, number one, I went to a meeting this morning. Saturday mornings are my meeting time, my running time. Miriam needs to take care of herself and the steps, and then I can take care of everybody else. And now it's like learning how to deal with family and stuff that goes on that's out of my control. And, and what part is my control? You know, standing up for myself and not stepping on someone's toes and the balance between that. And somebody this morning at a meeting shared that, you know, when you're abstinent and you're not focused on the food, then you got to start talking about other stuff that's going on in your life. So that's what I do now. And the truth is it's hard. I mean, there have been times about a year ago where I just felt like I don't know if I can do this. This is too hard, you know. Um, but with the program, I, I'm getting through it. I'm getting through it. I got through it. I had a wonderful day today when I turned people over to God, including, you know, myself. Then I have a good day. And I struggle. I still struggle. I'm never, you know, some people are like, oh, everything's fine. I'm wonderful. I'm probably, I mean, I have a disease. I, I, am, a, I am an addict. I am high strung with food and you know if I'm not eating today I got to deal with this whole other area of how does Miriam handle stuff you know my husband says don't leave me with the kids and I immediately think oh my god I have to go back I have to help him but see I can I, I, see there's the balance there is he just kidding okay go to the meeting he's an adult leave him alone okay see so this goes on in my head you know and I get to just turn him over to God he's an adult I'm just being stupid you know I'm being stupid and recently, I gave, uh, I did a half marathon with my sponsor not too long ago. And we were at the hotel, and I gave my, I did a 10-step with her. I gave away two books full of writing over my husband. And, <laughs> and I gave it to her. And she said to me, Miriam, this is getting old. She didn't say it then. She said that later. But she said, you have, you want to be taken care of. It's very immature to want to be taken care of this way. And she was right. So I got to let go of that and see it. And that's one of my little kid things, this feeling of entitlement. Like, I, I deserve to have these things and not work for it necessarily. So I get to see my part, and then I'm free. And I don't have to go to the food. And what motivates me is not wanting to go to the food ever again. My blood sugars are very good. Um... I work hard at it. As a diabetic, I test my blood about five to six times a day. It's normal. It's what I do. I don't even think about it. My kids don't even think about it. They don't. Of course, when they got to get their blood tested, it's a whole. One time they went to the doctor, they freaked out. And I said, this is what mommy does all day long. They went, but that's you. You know, that's what they said. <laughs> I do that about five to seven times a day. I've learned that it's all about the numbers. Same with my weight. I weigh once a week, you know. If I'm not exercising as much, I can be up two to three pounds. I don't like it. I have to exercise more. Um, but I don't struggle with that anymore. Now it's about life. And um, my blood sugars are pretty good for the most part. I'd say they're about 70. Sometimes they get a little low. They go up to about 130. 
after I've eaten, but I test it all the time. I work very hard at it. I work hard. Nobody's a victim. We all have the ability to work hard at it. We ask God to help us, though, and give us the strength. If I didn't need God, I wouldn't need this program, and I could do it on my own, but I can't. So I need a higher power. I need the steps. I need the 12 traditions. I need it all so that I can seem appear normal. I went, Isn't that funny? Yeah, be normal. But you know what? It's fine. I laugh, and it, I need to laugh. That's what I do, and that's who I am. And you know what? It's a good thing, because before, I was one angry, angry SOB. And um, I'll end it with this. I saw a guy that I went to high school with, and uh, this was before I met my husband. And I said, why did you ever ask me out? He said, I liked you in high school, but you were so angry back then that I was afraid of you. And he said that to me. You were angry back then, and I didn't want to ask you out. And then, he, you know, I met up with him after I was in recovery. And I thought, oh, my God, I've been so angry. And, you know, I'm not that angry. I'm not angry anymore. The steps are my path to freedom. It's everyone's path to freedom. You don't have to be in the hell anymore, but you've got to work at it. So thanks for letting me share.